The following audio-supported podcast is intended for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended as medical advice. Please speak with your healthcare professional before making any treatment decisions. The guests on today's show were paid to participate in this podcast. Welcome back to Just Listen, Voices of PK Deficiency. My name is Amy Board, and I am one of the producers of Bloodstream Media and your host for today's episode. We have an excellent show for you. We're speaking with two leaders of the PK Deficiency Foundation. The PK Deficiency Foundation is a self-funded public charity which provides science-based education to patients, their caregivers, and the medical community. You can learn more about them at pkdf.org. Again, that is pkdf.org. So let me introduce you to Alejandra Watson and Laura Miller D'Angelo. Alejandra is the founder and board president of the foundation, and she's also a caregiver to a son living with PK deficiency. Laura is the founder and board secretary and treasurer, as well as a PK deficiency patient. These wonderful women will share their unique experiences, as well as what prompted them to form this very important organization. So let's listen in. Here I am with the founders of the PK Deficiency Foundation, Laura and Alejandra. Welcome to the podcast. Laura, I hear this is your first podcast experience and you're a little nervous. Yes, this is my first experience (laughs) and I am very nervous. Not just a little nervous, but very nervous. Oh, we promise it'll be painless. We promise. Alejandra, welcome to the podcast. This is not your first podcast experience. Are you well-seasoned? No, uh, this is my first podcast, <gasps> actually, but uh, I have a little bit more experience with microphone because my dad is a musician and he forced me to sing with his band a couple of times. <laughs> well, in that case, we will start with you. For those who might be a little unfamiliar, tell us a bit about the foundation and how you all got started. Well, the foundation started that it was a long-term dream for me because when my son was born, and I had no information about the parabicarinase efficiency. I started to search online and I found another person in the Netherlands. So when I was in my search of to try to figure out what it was, this disease, what it means, how was going to be my son's life in the future? If he was going to leave, he was not going to leave. I, I got it like the doctor's like, well, we're going to do the best we can, but he won't be leaving more than three months et cetera, et cetera, that it's a very familiar story for a lot of patients. Mm -hmm. Then I started the PKD support group in Facebook that is called People with Parabicarinase Deficiency, along with the other girl in the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. So between both of us, we started like, I would say eight people, maybe, in all over the world. And we were like, of course, anxious to meet each other in then we started to find more people, slowly finding more people about with parabicarinase deficiency. After a long time, in 2011, we heard for the first time about AGIOS and what they wanted to do. In 2013, we have our first meeting mm-hmm. with, about, with a lot of patients with parabicarinase deficiency and caregivers. And I I went to the meeting and I told them about my wishes to create a foundation. So for many years, I went to different conferences and different things about how to create a foundation. The information was amazing. 
but nothing had it on head or feet or legs or, you know, you had it the legs and you had it the feet and you have the brain and you have everything. But put it all together, it was like the biggest thing that how can you put it? Like a puzzle. Mm. You have all the pieces, but you don't know how to put them all together. So last year in July 1st, we launched our foundation after months of preparation and working with lawyers and, and all these things that to get ready to launch a foundation where we will be able to help other people and our community that will feel safe and secure with us to come into our foundation that they will know that their information is private and is protected by us. And that is how we started part of Icarina's Efficiency Foundation. That's wonderful. I'm so struck by the passion that started from your own personal experience and not seeing something there that you needed for the community and the foundation. I'm really struck by that. And Laura, I'll throw it over to you. What has your personal experience with PK deficiency been like? And how has that led you to want to work here for the foundation? I've had probably an experience probably a little different from most other PKD patients, whereas I am not transfusion dependent. But when I was first born, probably like four hours after I was born, things were going crazy in the hospital and my blood count was dropping and, and and I turned yellow and the doctors were wondering what's going on. And that was a long time ago and PKD wasn't really known very well at that point in time. So I just spent my childhood with transfusions and surgeries and, you know, living my life with PKD, being very uh, fatigued, tired, and going through those kind of things. And multiple surgeries later, I became fairly healthy, or at least what I knew to be healthy for a PKD patient. Because, I mean, let's face it, we don't know what it's like to be extremely healthy and have normal blood count and have normal energy levels. And so I lived that way for a fairly long time. So it really wasn't um, a priority for me anymore to be so concerned about my health. And this was later in life when I was in charge of my health and not my parents. And as I got older, as I hit my late 40s, my health started deteriorating a little bit. My fatigue became you know, much more, much worse, much worse than it was before. And so I went to my, you know, my doctor and I was telling them that and there, and he says, well, of course you're tired. You're anemic. And I'm like, no, this is very different from any tiredness I've ever felt before, you know, for a long, long time. So at that point, I just, I started wondering why I wasn't getting any help and and who could help me. And I knew of no one. I knew of no doctor or no person that knew anything about PKD. Any doctor that I went to, they were like, you were you are our only person that we know of that has this disease. We've never seen it anybody else. We've never known of anybody else with this disease. And so I'm going through life kind of struggling to find things out. And one day my friend told me that there was a rare disease day. And I was like, oh, there's a rare disease day? I did not know this. Why did I not know this? So I really started researching on the internet. And I come across a few things. I come across Agios's website and found the uh, Facebook page that Alejandra started. And I don't remember exactly how, but I found out about the Voice of the Patient meeting in Washington, D.C. back in September of 2019, which Alejandra spoke about. And since I live in Baltimore, Maryland, and that meeting was in Washington, D.C., I was excited to go. I was like, there's no way I'm going to miss out on this meeting. So I went, and that's where 
in the first time, that's for the first time in my life, I had ever seen another human being with PKD. Oh, Laura. So that was a very emotional day for yes. me. And of course, the tears of yeah. seeing the young children with, with their jaundiced skin and knowing what they were going through mm. and the adults as well. So as we're going through this meeting, we were just talking with people and I was saying to myself, I need to get involved in something so I can help other people never be almost 50 years old and not have ever met somebody else with their disease and have that isolation and that feeling of being so alone for that many years of their life. And I went to the meeting, but then I was on the phone call with Alejandra and a few other people. And they were saying, we encourage you to start a foundation. There needs to be a foundation so all the rest of the community can have a, a place to go to for education and resources and support and whatever that we can help them with. And I was like, I'm on board. I'm on board. So here we are today, Alejandra and I, with our foundation that, like she said, started back in July. Well, congratulations. How wonderful. Thank you. Alejandra, you are a caretaker. You're a mom with a son with a PK deficiency. You're the first caretaker we've had on the podcast on Just Listen. Tell us a little bit about your experience and how you've managed your son's PK deficiency over the years. My son now is 17 years old. It was very difficult for me, I can tell you. And I think it is for a lot of parents to know the, that one of your children is going to live with something that you don't even know what it is. You don't even know how to pronounce it because, first of all, I'm Mexican. You know, and <laughs> I'm a Mexican living in the United States, living with an American husband that he has no clue also what it is. And it's like the whole world just fell on your shoulders. What am I going to do? Mm. What is going to happen now? So mm. it was very difficult, especially when you are from a different country, you are alone. Mm. And then you already know the feeling of loneliness. And then you have a, a child with a part of a kindness deficiency that you have no idea what it is. That isolation grows even bigger. So it was very difficult for me at the beginning. I, I never recognized that I suffered from postpartum depression and depression because of what my son was going through. I can tell you that I stopped talking to my husband for about six months. I know that I did talk. We were just talking the very necessary words that we had it to go through the day and make us to go through the day and because we had it other children. So this is... It's like a test in your life, whether you are going to hold it together or you fell apart. Mm. So we decided to hold it together and we will go through anything that it was coming. I, I see my son going through ICU a couple of times to get very, very sick, to have a type of crisis. You don't know if that child is going to come out of the woods or not. And the doctor's telling you, you need to be prepared for the worst. So that feeling was excruciating. It was like a, an excruciating pain inside of you, inside of your soul. It, it was, it, it's like the pain in the heart when people related about a heart attack, but you know that you're not having an attack. You, you, you just know that your heart aches and your body aches and everything aches and you become numb. But like, what do I do? 
and it's so difficult for, not just for me, but I think that for a lot of parents that I decide to do something. I decided I'm not going to be that mom that is going just to fall and crying and sitting in here, seeing how my son is dying or when he's going to die. So he's half-functioning autistic. He is a very smart kid. And when I'm saying smart kid, it's very smart. <laughs> I, sometimes I wonder if it's really my son. <laughs> Maybe they change it in the hospital. You never know. <laughs> he's very smart. He's uh, So I know my son is going to need more than other children. Mm. Just because he will be missing school, he will be doing this. So I start to look for programs within my community. Like, what am I going to do? When I'm going to take my son to start to learn? to live in this society because at the end he needs to learn how to live in this society. I cannot isolate him from everything else. While I was being isolated, I didn't want him to be isolated. So I started to look for programs. I went to different places. Like I need to find my son has this disorder, this chronic, he needs blood transfusions because he has been getting blood transfusions since he was born every three weeks. So he has already over 300 blood transfusions. And like Lara, probably 14 surgeries. But more important than all these surgeries and all this blood transfusion is how it's going to live. So I started to teach Jonathan since he was little, I'm giving you this medication because of this. I always tell him they are going to poke you and it's going to hurt. And I'm sorry that it's going to hurt. I don't want that you get hurt. And I love you so much. And I'm going to be here the whole way holding your hand. If something hurts, just squeeze my hand. So he, his life as a child was difficult. But you know, I have other three children back then. I had that when Jonathan was four years old, I had my son, Anthony, that is a baby. So how, as a mom, you need to accomplish to have a child with a chronic illness and then three other children at home that they also need you. So I started to do like a week for each child. So the mom has Four weeks, right? So one week for Jonathan, one week for Anthony, one week for Kevin, and one for Alex. So once a week, we had it a dinner, a date. I had it a date with one of each of my children, even if it was Jonathan. We we create our dinner time, which our dinner time was that it was Jonathan with everybody. Whether he was at the hospital or not, every night we had a dinner together. We, we teach Jonathan that we are a family and we support each other and we were going to help him no matter what. So his brothers, they were learning along with me what Jonathan was going through. And I'm going to tell you that my biggest fear was that I was going to die young. And I said, what is going to happen if I die? What, what is going to happen with my child? So um, all these worries, that they were like keeping me awake at night and what do I have to do? So instead of to keeping awake, just wondering, I was staying awake all night searching and searching and, you know, like, okay, I'm going to do this research. What is happening? This, I don't have a medical background just to let you know, but I, it, it was so much on me that I wanted to understand what was happening and how I was going to help my child. I didn't find a book that it was saying, you need to do this. So I just was learning day by day how to manage Jonathan. And then we find when he was probably around 
eight years old and I say, you're going to start this other medication that you need to get infused. I teach him how to put a needle himself in his belly, how to start his medication. By the age of 10, he was taking care of his own medication all on his own. Because every time that we were going to the doctor, the doctor had it. Every doctor is going to ask you, what are you taking? Do you know what are you taking? Is this one working? Is this one not working? So I let him interact with the doctor. And I was always like, Jonathan, you need to talk to the doctor. I'm not sick. You are the one that is sick. What do you have to do? What do you need to tell the doctor? I'm here to help you. You forget something. So I guess I transitioning from on his stages of life for Jonathan, I been teaching him how to transition from preschool to kindergarten, the kindergarten to elementary, elementary, middle school, middle school to high school. And now this coming fall, he's going to college. I'm petrified. Yes, I am. <laughs> I, I, I don't know how I'm going to handle my own emotions. And I can tell you now, I, I feel sometimes a little bit sad in a good way. Sad because he is a, He's a little young man with so much knowledge about himself, about his disease and how to manage himself. They don't know any difference in how, like we do that has to be normal to be extremely fatigued. So they don't know and they need to learn, honestly, how to read their own bodies because they just keep going. It's like, this is normal. I need just to keep going and going and going. So I had to teach my son when his body was telling, stop, it's time to stop, to recover, and then we can continue moving. So that those little things that for all of us, we take it for granted, it's not in them. And, and that, that was always worry as a mom. And I wanted to make it feel that I was going to be there always to protect him, to help him. And if he needed my hand, my hand is always going to be there. But at the same time, he had to take responsibility of his own disease and his own health. Every time that we go to the doctor, he has these wonderful talks with the doctors and discussions back and forth. Like, no, I don't have that. Let's do this test. Let's try this test. And then the doctor's like, wow, Jonathan, I, I really feel accomplished because I'm learning more about your disease and we are learning together. So that that is how I thing that I preparing Jonathan for this. I want to thank the both of you for sharing your stories. I think other listeners, other patients and caretakers will feel seen. So I just want to thank you for that. Agios is a biopharmaceutical company that is fueled by connections with patient communities, healthcare professionals, partners, and each other. Building on these connections and the company's unmatched leadership in the field of cellular metabolism, Agios is pioneering therapies of genetically defined diseases, a broad group of rare and more common diseases that are typically severe and life-threatening. Near-term, Agios is focusing on advancing a clinical pipeline of investigational medicines for hemolytic anemias, including pyruvate kinase, or PK deficiency, thalassemia, and sickle cell disease. To learn more about PK deficiency, visit nopkdeficiency.com. That's K-N-O-W-P-K-Deficiency.com. 
I'd love to turn to the foundation work a little bit. Laura, tell me a little bit about what the foundation means to do for the community. What are some of your uh, goals and objectives? I just want to tell everybody that if you go to our website, our goals and objectives are right there for everybody to see. We have five programs that we're going to be working on. Some are short-term and some are long-term. One of the things is we want to encourage our community to do some of their own grassroots fundraising for the PKD community. Whether it be children with lemonade stands or blood drives, which is very important now since we have a national shortage of blood and we have so many people who are transfusion dependent and need uh, transfusions every three, four, five weeks, it's very important to do that. So I think that's one of the first things that Alejandra and I want to do this year is to encourage people to do some of that grassroots fundraising to get involved in the community and that we're here to help them. We're here to help them do that. One of the other things that I'm really excited about providing our community is the awareness of other people and where they live and if there's any people close to them. I'm from Baltimore, Maryland, and I don't know anybody else from my state. So that they can meet those people or um, start whatever it is they want to start with them, whether they do a fundraising thing or, or whatever. And also be able to tell them where there are specialists or you know, hematologists, other specialists, who are aware of PKD, who have knowledge of PKD and where those specialists are so that they can reach out to those specialists or have their physicians reach out and communicate and collaborate with each other on their care. Those are two very important things to me. I think those are more of our short-term goals. Like I said, we have some long-term goals too, but we want to get the community involved in our goals. And we ask everybody that do visit our webpage there's a link at the top of our webpage called Get Involved to click that link and then click the volunteer link and to fill out the form and let us know what you're interested in, um, what your skills are, where you think you could help or where you just want to help. Even if you even if you want to be taught how to do something, we would appreciate that and we would love to know what everybody would want to get involved in. And it's actually a pretty small community and we know that we're so spread apart and we're so rare that we want to bring the people together. Absolutely. Both of you, I'd love, I'm interested in what you think this podcast will mean for the community. What are some of the ways that this podcast could bring folks together? I'm thinking this might be the first time anybody is going to hear a patient and a caregiver talk about our experiences or and as a patient and caregiver and talk about our foundation and how we got together. And I think that they will be encouraged by, I hope that they'll be encouraged to reach out to other people or just to learn a little bit more. I think when people hear what other people have to say, um, they feel a part of that and they don't feel so alone anymore. So I think that's something that's gonna, that the podcast is gonna be able to do for people. I think also I would like to add of what uh, Laura just said, that we firmly believe that this podcast will bring more needed information to the community, their families, friends, the population in general. A lot of times the patients, they, they cannot go everywhere with a pamphlet or the, or the information about the disease, but a podcast can 
get to different places. You can hear what you are driving. They people can understand what they are living. So it's a spreading about it's creating more awareness, which it, that helps our community. And also that helps us to create relationships between the patient and caregiver community and the medical health care community. Because that is so important for the doctors to listen, to listen our voices, to listen what we are. And you are facilitating this podcast to spread that word, to let them know we are here, we are humans. We need your help. As a close, what would you like to say to the community? This is this is your opportunity to maybe be in a home that has never heard anyone that has PK deficiency. So what are your hopes for that community? What would you like to say? We are here to protect the rights. We are here to be your voice, to let spread the word, to create awareness that we so we all so much need. We need more people that they put their eyes on us, that they understand the pain, the needed, the emotional, the physical exhaustion. It's not just physical, it's emotional, it's mentally. And it's not just to say, oh, I feel tired. No, it's, it's, it goes way more than that. We wanted the community to know that we are here to help them, to help them navigate. I want to tell people that they're not alone. I want them to know that they're not alone because that was one of the that was one of the hardest things for me to go through in my life is to feel so alone and be told by every doctor that I've ever seen for whatever that they didn't know anybody else. I honestly thought I was the only person in the world with PKD until I was almost 50 years old. Do the research. And come to us to be involved and to learn about the other people. And I also want them to know that you do have a voice. And one of our goals is to help them understand how to advocate for themselves with physicians and how to get the help they need instead of going to that doctor's office, whether it be a hematologist or a regular physician, and come out more confident that they're going to get help and not disappointed that there's nothing for them. That's really what I want them to know at this point. Well, thank you to the both of you. I hope we'll have you back on Just Listen. Congratulations on the start of the PK Deficiency Foundation. We're so excited to see where the organization goes. And um, maybe we'll see you on future episodes. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Just Listen, Voices of PK Deficiency. Don't forget to hit that follow button in your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. Share the show with members of the PK Deficiency community. And if you'd like to learn more about PK Deficiency and see what resources to support people impacted by PK Deficiency, visit knowpkdeficiency.com. That is K-N-O-W-P-K-Deficiency.com. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to talking with you again.